good afternoon, everyone present as well as those watching our live stream. My name is Aparna Pandey and I am director of Hudson Institute's initiative on the future of India and South Asia. On behalf of Hudson's uh, CEO and president, uh, Dr. Kenneth Weinstein, and uh, my senior colleague, Ambassador Hossein Haqqani, director South and Central Asia, I would like to welcome all of you to what I'm sure will be an extremely interesting conversation. Relations between India and the United States have deepened over the last decade, and defense is a key pillar of that relationship. We at Hudson have always believed that economics and defense go hand in hand. And in order to achieve even closer collaboration, it is important that corporate India and corporate America come closer together. Uh, with that short introduction, I would now turn the proceedings over to my senior colleague, Mr. Doug Feith. Doug served as Under Secretary of Defense for Policy from July 2001 until August 2005. He's a giant in American defense policy. He helped plan the worldwide changes in the US defense structure, uh, develop new US strategic partnerships with India and Pakistan, promote NATO enlargement and reform, and craft the US policy towards China. Thank you. Thank you, Aparna. Uh, I also would like to welcome everybody here in the room and everybody who's watching uh, over the internet. The the subject of, of the U.S.-Indian relationship is one that uh, I devoted a lot of attention to when I was working as Undersecretary of Defense for Policy uh, in the George W. Bush administration. I considered it one of my most important duties uh, to create a strong strategic and military relationship between the United States and India. This was a uh, a, a project that my boss, uh, Secretary of Defense Don Rumsfeld, uh, was uh, enthusiastically supporting. And as the undersecretary, I co-chaired the annual U.S.-India defense talks. And when we met for the first time during my tenure, the relationship by between the United States and India was dominated by two matters. First was India's new status as a nuclear weapons state, and second was the India-Pakistan conflict. And I remember that my main message at the, the, this first meeting of the, of the defense bilateral forum that we had was that we needed to move beyond those two matters. We in the Bush administration didn't view India as a problem. Both of those matters were problems. And we didn't look at India as a problem. <clears throat> Rather, we looked at India as a potential strategic partner, a, uh, a rising power with the potential to be an influence for good, not only in its region, but globally. The Defense Department worked closely with uh, our U.S. ambassador to India at the time, Bob Blackwell. And the Office of the Secretary of Defense became the chief engine for developing the U.S.-Indian uh, US relationship. And a key element of the relationship was defense cooperation, including defense trade. And we now are at a good moment uh, to, to discuss this. The Indian defense minister, Barakar, is now in town to meet 
with the Secretary of Defense, Carter, uh, on the U.S.-Indian defense relationship. And we have a, I think, an extremely interesting group of people to discuss the state of the U.S.-Indian defense relationship, where do the sides want the relationship to go, uh, what are the biggest opportunities and the biggest challenges that the relationship now faces. There's a lot that can be said that's very positive, but it's important to point out this is a complex relationship. And the United States and India have important strategic interests in common. And when we talk about East Asia, that's rather obvious. The dealing with the growth of uh, China as a power, dealing with the, the possibility of, of improved triangular relationships, the United States, India, Japan, perhaps the United States, India, Australia, um, so in, in East Asia, we see a, uh, a, a lot of interests in common that create a lot of potential for additional cooperation. When we look to the west of India in the Middle East, the, the two countries, the United States and India, don't fully share interests. And there have been tensions over relations with Iran, for example. And we have, we have representatives of our panel here who are in companies that are interested in doing business with Iran, and, and we can make that one of the topics of, of conversation here. But the, the important thing to recognize is that this is a rich and a complex relationship. It has its commonalities. It has its differences. And a key element of it is def the defense relationship, and, and the quality of the defense relationship is always going to reflect the question of how harmonious or how uh, at odds uh, the strategic interests of the countries are. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to our, uh, our guests addressing the, their perspective as, I mean, our, our Indian guests are all representatives of private defense uh, companies in India. And what I will do is I'm going to ask uh, each to talk for a few minutes um, on these subjects. I will introduce each in turn. And, and then following the uh, initial remarks, we'll have some discussion amongst the panelists and then uh, open the discussion to those of you in the room. And so I, I'd first like to call on Mr. Jayant Patil, who is the senior vice president and the head of defense and aerospace at one of India's great companies, Larson and Tubro, uh, a multinational conglomerate. It's the largest engineering and construction company in India, a long history of corporate ventures with American companies, including uh, major U.S. Uh, cardiac equipment firm, Zoll Medical. Uh, L&T 
is a company that is hoping to benefit from the ending of Iran's sanctions as it seeks to purchase oil from Iran. Mr. Patil has been with L&T for over 20 years and has led teams that have designed and developed weapon systems for the Indian Army, Navy, and Air Force. He has a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Government College of Engineering and a master's from the Indian Institute of Technology in Bombay. And uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you here you. at Hudson. Thank you. Uh, uh, let, me, let me begin uh, by talking a little about my company, uh, founded by two Danes, uh, but a 100% Indian company. And we, we today run 12 verticals, 128 businesses. So uh, when we say engineering, believe me, every aspect of engineering this company deals with, and defense and aerospace was a corollary to what we did on the strategic side on the nuclear power and the space. And from those and the technologies that were built completely <coughs> for those first two sectors of the nuclear and the uh, power and the uh, space, uh, it was natural for us, uh, mid-80s, to start getting into uh, defense. Uh, we have seen uh, defense from a perspective of someone who would be a complete system integrator, uh, someone who would build, build system of systems. <coughs> this is precisely what we started <coughs> doing right from the word go. And we, we have seen the relationship with uh, US uh, companies from a very different perspective. Uh, we connect up very well with uh, the defense companies here. We, we value the technology content which is available here. We also are keenly aware that uh, India can truly create a very different kind of a value uh, through these kind of collaborations and working together. Uh, with this value also comes an extremely innovative, low-cost <coughs> solutions which come out of the Indian minds and those can truly metamorphosize what we do between US and India. Uh, looking at the past, I have been quite uh, regularly coming for the DPPG uh, right from 2006 in, right in Washington, uh, DC, and then a little before that, the first one I still remember was Hawaii and was far more beautiful place to go rather than coming to <laughs> Washington, DC. But, uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, that uh, strategic dialogue, which <coughs> began right in 2006, we certainly have made progress. Uh, being corporate, uh, the progress has not been what any corporate. I'm sure the same thing is true for my American counterparts. Uh, the progress has been far too slow. Uh, in terms of what the corporates wants, we are measured by a stock market every quarter. And if something cannot happen in a quarter, it's long term. And when it's long term, we would want action uh, far, far faster. Uh, what I see very clearly out of these dialogues, we, we are coming closer. We are moving in to try and do things together. We still have hurdles. We still have issues to address. We still can actually build, I, I don't mean the technologies flow to be one way. We truly can make a collaboration which could create new technologies. And I always talk of this as an example of one and one. One can always write as 11. One can always write it as two. One can write it as one. Uh, one upmanship, one on one, would only give you one. 
and that's exactly what in terms of truly relationship building with us which we value technologically very advanced in terms of innovation i believe india is superior far better far better kind of a cost uh, uh, performance uh, using the same knowledge you could come out with something wonderful uh, having been directly involved as lassen tubro on our moon mission on our mars mission uh, these are true icons of india having done it extremely in extensive way uh, nobody in the world can imagine the kind of numbers that which it has been done by india and having been part of those success stories we know uh, by coming together all hurdles removed we can truly do something wonderful uh, i do not see even today the policies to be in place or truly facilitating this kind of a collaboration happening while we need each other while it's clearly understood that this coming together can make a huge difference there are some uh, hurdles truly to cross and one can debate it in terms of what needs to be done uh, i see very clearly the opportunities for both uh, of our countries domestically as well as going to other places are huge and those opportunities can truly come out of some amount of true technology collaboration product building taking them uh, within our own places as well as taking them overseas thank you um subodh babu is the executive director and chief operating officer of <coughs> dynamatic technologies limited a company that does precision engineering in the aviation field and works among others with airbus and boeing and bell uh it's collaborating with an american firm aerovironment inc to manufacture unmanned aerial vehicles um mr babu has a be in mechanical engineering and masters from the indian institute of science and we're delighted that you're here thank you looking forward to hearing from you um in the last uh, decade uh, decade from the time that uh, bill clinton visited india uh, we've seen a lot of change in uh, the indian and american relationship and uh, if you look at uh, the way we've grown a dynamatic has grown in our business we had opportunities of doing business with the large public sector companies in india and that was the only opportunity that we had in the defense uh, sector and then came the opportunities when we were making stuff for the public sector companies but on russian programs on the sukhoi program or the jet trainer that hl which is the public sector company in india developed but after the visit there was some kind of uh, collaboration that happened between our two countries and then the opportunities started happening but it wasn't just the visit we've got some common uh, geopolitical uh, problems we both have phenomenal uh, terrorist issues we had you had the 911 we had the 2611 and after the 2611 there was a necessity for the indian defense to get 
a maritime reconnaissance aircraft and guess who they went to for this they came to Boeing here and that is one of the first programs wherein we got a connection from between India and America back again on the defense procurement <clears throat> and from there on we've bought uh, Apaches we've placing in negotiations and almost placing orders on Chinook we've got the C-130Js so there's a lot of uh, procurement that's happening from India from American organizations and from uh, American companies and there's also a lot of change that's happened within India itself the late 90s allowed India to develop an industrial base that came out of the boom or the opening up of the economy in India in the early 90s. And this led to an industrial productionization of cars and a large amount of automotive production, which gave the supply chain base that could start pitching for business that came from defense. And that is the base that was being tapped into when the Boeings and the Bells and the Lockheed Martins started looking at India. <clears throat> you essentially need two things. You need skilled manpower and you need the industrialization base. And that is what uh, was not there in the country before the automotive boom. And these things, I believe, are the main reasons for uh, the Indian and the American collaboration in the defense sector and the possibility for productionizing it in India and taking this relationship forward. Thank you. Colonel H.S. Shankar, after a distinguished career in the, in the Indian Army, uh, founded and serves now as Chairman and Managing Director of Alpha Design Technologies, uh, an Indian company that aims to serve, as, as he's described, as a, as a technologically strong defense and avionics design and production organization for the Indian military. Uh, Alpha exports products to Israel and hopes to emulate the exporting success of Israeli defense firms. And I, I hope we will. Uh, explore uh, that issue of Indian-American-Israeli defense relations. It's a, a fascinating subject. Um, so we'll be, uh, we're delighted also to welcome you here, and we're interested in, in your comments. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> as uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as I explained to the dignitaries, uh, some of them who are sitting on the uh, stage, uh, I am a true Hudsonian. Uh, Indian Army has got a cavalry regiment which is now converted into an armored regiment called as Hudson's Horse. So that is a very old regiment and I belong to that. In fact, for my friend who is sitting here, Mr. Coker, that uh, uh, you know, uh, General Ayub Khan's father, uh, as a Rissaldar major, he served in the Hudson's Horse during the pre-politician days. So I've got a lot of uh, this thing and a version of hearts and swords in the Pakistan army, is, uh, Pakistan army is called as the province heart. And that has been converted, of course, into one of the regiments there. So 
so I'm a true Hudsonian uh, <laughs> for uh, information of this great institution. Uh, since uh, Mr. Patel gave a few details about his company, ours is not that big a company. It is about 840 people strong with more than 600 engineers. 500 of them are in the R&D. And all of them, in the, uh, as engineers, majority of them are in the 21 to 29 age group. You will agree that is the most productive age in all respects. And uh, we have a policy that we will take only those who belong to the lower middle income group and the lower income group uh, engineers and technicians. If uh, somebody uh, from the higher echelon group comes, we'll say, please go over to Mr. Patil's unit, Larson and Tobro, or Mr. Narayan Murthy's interface, <coughs> or Wipro, and you will have a better deal. Because we feel that the, those who have got a hunger in the stomach, they produce more and then they are more dedicated, provided you give a platform for them to work. And it is happening actually on the ground. Uh, Mr. Patil also talked about uh, the India's successes in the Mars program as well as in the moon program and space program. I would also add a little bit because the audience is American audience here. Um, I was responsible, in fact, as the chief designer and production head of one of the very famous uh, things that we have done, that is the electronic voting machines. And believe me, the whole of our uh, great Indian continent, above the 18 years of age, they go and press the electronic voting machine, whether they are old, young, or from this religion, that religion, or from this sector, that sector, they utilize it and it is a very, very successful uh, electronic voting, voting methodology which has stood the test of time over more than six different general elections. I would uh, request the American uh, government and the people to utilize it because then you will not go through the problems that you had. I think few <laughs> years back you had a problem with uh, General Bush, uh, Mr. President Bush's election in Florida or something like that where your electronic voting machine could not press properly the holes or something like that, there was some problem. And uh, anyhow, that is a case of history. Now, coming back to this particular aspect of uh, defense cooperation and how to go about, you see, it is always better uh, from, if you see from probably American perspective or American industries even, that generally they would like to have a buyer-seller relationship. In fact, when you come to our own medium scale company or even bigger companies, we would also like to do the same provided somebody is there to buy it. This buyer-seller relationship can never be a long-term sort of an arrangement. It can only be a short-term. Okay, your, your, this thing is good and then we got a good price and things like that. We buy it from <laughs> United States and next time we go to France, next time we go to this. That sort of a thing happens and then if the, the process of maintenance, repairs, uh, utilization of the, in the field, operators and operational training for the users and things like that come in, this sort of a buyer-seller relationship generally fails. And it does not leave a good taste in the minds of the people or even the users. The second is, in these days when they have a buyer-seller relationship, in democracies, we are a big democracy, you are a big democracy, 
Now, in democracies, when every issue is under scrutiny, there can always be a sort of a thrown stone at each other. So, this sort of a relationship was the one that was going on, maybe till about at least 5 to 10 years back in India and in other countries in and around. This government and the previous governments in the later stages, uh, uh, in the last stages, had decided on changing this methodology by coming out with a series of defense procurement policies. There has been five different defense procurement policies which has been changed every two years to cater for the requirements of the Indian companies, requirements of the Indian R&D organizations and also requirements of the various companies from abroad as to how all these three can be made to come together on a platform so that the best could be had to the ultimate user that is in this particular respect as the Indian Defense Forces and on in the process if a, uh, a, a sort of a defense manufacturing uh, platform could be built up in India that could be the sounding board for exports also to the third countries either through the partner from abroad or with his concurrence to the other countries in and around of its choice. And in this process, because of the fact that India has got a large pool of technologists, technical experts and very, very young people, 65% of the Indian population of more than about, we call it and crores as 136 crore, 1000 crores, whereas it is one, how much? 1.3 billion. 1.3 billion. 1.3 billion people out of that 65% are in the age group of 20 to 30 in that age group. So they are the most productive brains and they are the resources. They are not a problem. They are the sources of us getting into better business and they are all very highly qualified, educated or getting into that stage in various forms. So can we utilize this sort of a, a resource that is there? and also the, uh, the technological advancement that has already been made in the United States in various uh, platforms and arms, ammunition and other equipment and systems, can it be done so that we have a series of products and projects and systems which could be of the greatest uh, use to the end user and in this process also spread it, this technology for various other purposes all over the world with collaboration, cooperation with the firms with which this uh, work is supposed to be progressed. We are in India so far, there is not even a single case of IPR issues being ever uh, uh, taken off. We have followed it each and every industry in each and every field, whether it is space or defense or civil communications or in any other field, technological field the IPRs are held sacrosanct and there is not even a single case as compared to, if I may say so, some of the other countries who are in and around. So, uh, the purpose of our own defense delegation, uh, ministry delegation, not a ministry delegation, sorry, it is a private sector defense manufacturing and R&D groups which have come over here representing various strata of uh, uh, the defense industry small, medium and large scale, we have come over here to work out how an industry to industry partnership can come up. 
it is always better that the people work at the ground level. There is, a, there is an industry with us. We are having some industrial experience. There are other industries over there. If we work out together a platform, then on that basis, it can be further extended. And how exactly we can quickly bring it into motion? And for that, what are the impediments that are uh, making this sort of a industry to industry collaboration difficult? And how exactly that could be removed? How exactly some of the processes could be simplified? As we say, we have simplified in India our processes to a major extent. In the same way, can United States also simplify their own some of the clearances and delays that are involved and all that or the issues that we are uh, discussing over there and also how we can do in future only co-production, co-development and less of buyer-seller relationship. This is the one that we wanted to do and in this respect we are very grateful that this great institute has given us an opportunity for bringing out any of the, our points of view and we are at your disposal later on I am sure after the other experts speak for any of the clarifications. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Michael Pillsbury is a senior fellow here uh, with me at Hudson. He directs Hudson's Center for Chinese Strategy. Mike is a, a brilliant analyst of defense policy who has served as a senior U.S. government official. He's authored numerous influential books and reports on China. His, his book, The Hundred Year Marathon, China's Secret Strategy to Replace America as the Global Superpower, is uh, extremely thought-provoking, a terrific book. Um, I feel very proud that I can say that I worked with Mike uh, going all the way back to the Reagan administration on Cold War strategies. Uh, he also served as Special Assistant for Asian Affairs in the Office of the Secretary of Defense during the Bush Senior Administration. And then we worked <laughs> together in the Defense Department on China policy during the George W. Bush administration. Mike has a, a BA in history from Stanford and an MA and PhD from Columbia. He is um, one of the leading provocateurs of, uh, of intellectual discourse here uh, in Washington. And so I always uh, look forward to hearing his comments on whatever panel he's participating in, so especially this one. Thank you, Mr. Undersecretary <laughs> of Defense. Uh, as our, my Indian colleagues on the panel know, it's not just the audience in front of us. Uh, this discussion goes on the internet for at least a hundred years, and maybe longer. <laughs> so I thought I would recommend some reading for those who are interested in this whole topic of the future of India-U.S. defense collaboration. There are some really good things to read that have come out quite recently. Uh, I was in New Delhi two weeks ago with a young, I think he's 28, right, 28 years old, young editorial writer for the Wall Street Journal named David Fife. I'm not sure there's any connection between <laughs> You, but I, I heard a rumor you're his father. <laughs> and he wrote, a, he wrote a quite a long piece, which just last week in the Wall Street Journal, about Indian US defense collaboration, our very topic today. And he stresses progress and he hopes for an optimistic future, but he also underlines a number of the obstacles. 
And that has been a difficult topic for Americans to bring up so far, because as Colonel Shankar just mentioned, there's a certain amount of profit for American companies in just having a buyer-seller relationship. So very expensive systems, and the big four now are the Apache helicopters, the C-17 transport jet, the C-130Js, um, I forgot the fourth one. Chinook. No, that's coming. Poseidon. Uh, anyway, there are other things like that ahead of us, where American companies sell pretty much ready-to-go systems that India knows it cannot produce, at least in the near term and the Indian military wants. And there's a pattern to this that's described in this book I'm going to mention besides uh, David Fife's op-ed piece, my second recommended reading. is a book I just got yesterday from Oxford University Press. It came out, I think, this week. Why India is not a great power yet. 520 pages of very detailed quotations from critics who want reform of Indian defense industry, Indian national strategy. Uh, they want to change the way the Indian Ministry of External Affairs does business. And he summarizes, he quotes all these people in the 500 pages, including several former uh, chairmen of the integrated defense staff, uh, a number of uh, senior Navy and Air Force officers, who frankly I did not know had these strong views of the need for a transformational reform in India. Uh, the author supports Prime Minister Modi, who's made a number of comments now about the need for really major defense reform, in which the part of the U.S. companies who make these direct sales uh, will be antagonistic. They won't want the kinds of things <coughs> Professor Bharat Karnad is advocating uh, because he, he, he supports the sort of make-in-India approach but in a way that zeroes in and, frankly, attacks the public sector of the defense industry. And he praises uh, your Federation of the Chambers of Commerce of India. He praises your company. Uh, he praises the kind of effort you have with your 800 R&D designers and engineers. He thinks this is the future of India, that if India wants to become a true great power, it has to reform its defense industry. And he goes through the system. I'm going to read you some of his recommendations. He goes through the system that exists today of the defense minister issues what is called an operational directive about what would be the main threat and what are the scenarios that would come out of that. He says that in 2010, the defense minister issued an operational directive that China should be taken as the main threat to India and planning what we would call op plans and scenarios and so forth would be based on that. But he shows how immediately uh, the National Security Advisor, the Indian Foreign Minister, and then the next Indian Foreign Minister all attacked this and said, no, we must not see China as any kind of threat. And this is joined in, in Professor Karnad's story, this is joined in by the public sector uh, companies in the defense industry. Uh, and he shows a kind of holistic uh, system is going on in India where to have defense reform or any of these other changes I'm going to summarize for you, uh, you have to do what Prime Minister Modi said in 2014 he wants to do, to reform the defense industrial system and the system of defense strategy. That according to his quotations from so many high-level Indian military officers, 
there really isn't a defense strategy planning system that translates into um, a set of programs made in India or make in India. Instead, there's a kind of a cobbled together system that if, if his story is even half correct, it makes you want to cry for the future of India. Let me give you his 10 recommendations. They're all linked. And the book is about the 10, so this is a little bit too uh, shorthanded. Uh, the realization of an Indian Monroe Doctrine system. He argues with a lot of quotations from many other Indians that India should be a security provider to the Indian Ocean Maritime Region. It's not. A series of special forces teams have gone out uh, over the last 20 or 30 years, but it's not a system. He praises the Navy for building a maritime surveillance center near Delhi uh, as the first step toward that. Secondly, a controversial idea that thermonuclear tests should begin again by India, that the end users are not happy with the current state of warheads and weapons. Third, he talked, this is very specific recommendations. He says in order to strengthen the Indian Andaman Command, there needs to be a set of agreements with other nations in the Indian Ocean, in particular Mauritius. And he brings Vietnam into part of that, uh, again, the first recommendation of the Indian Monroe Doctrine system. The fourth is very similar to the China One Belt, One Road policy. India should have a consolidation in trade and economics with Iran, Afghanistan, Central <coughs> Asia, Russia, and Europe in concert with Moscow to outflank and stifle what the Chinese are doing. So he wants India to be competitive in trade and economics. Fifth, the initiation of a policy to co-opt Pakistan. And he has quite a long section on the key to India being a great power in its region is to minimize uh, Chinese influence with Pakistan, not to mention Myanmar, Nepal, and other areas in the region. Number six, arming Vietnam with strategic missiles beyond the BrahMos cruise missile already approved for transfer. <laughs> this would be a tit for tat for Chinese military technology transfers to Pakistan. Number seven, arrange with Manila for regular use of the Subic Bay Naval Base by the Indian Navy and periodic visits by Indian squadrons of Su-30s to Clark Air Base in the Philippines. Number eight, explore a northern Australian basing option for Indian SSBNs to secure strategic presence and reach to China's backyard. Number nine, increase the frequency and complexity of exercises with the Japanese, the US, and other forces in the region and increase India's military presence. Again, he's back to Andaman and Nicobar area. Um, to bring assertive military posture pressure to heighten uncertainties for China. Number 10, the last one, he says we need to borrow Chinese ideas for what Chinese strategy is. I'm quite sympathetic to this because it's what I say in the last chapter of my book. He says, we must do what China does, promote cultural exchanges, trade, commercial ties, tourist traffic, and especially, this is a brilliant point, I thought, Chinese investment in India in infrastructure projects, including high-speed rail networks, and use this sort of Chinese multi-pronged, multi-layer, non-linear strategy to keep China off balance. But as I say, to do these 10 recommendations, 
The book's mainly about defense industry reform and contains a number of very depressing comments for you, Mr. Fife, and me about the net result of 30 years of Indian-US defense collaboration. He quotes a number of quite senior uh, retired Indian admirals and generals. This really hasn't amounted to anything. The military exercises, the exchanges, the buyer-seller <laughs> examples, he said this has not reduced the anti-American attitudes in New Delhi, which he uses the phrase has a political reflex against anything American in spite of the popularity of American uh, dance music, consumer goods, Apache helicopters. So he's warning, he's obviously a close uh, supporter of Prime Minister Modi, but he's warning, don't underestimate the anti-American attitudes uh, that remain in India, especially in the military. Underlines that with quotations to show it. Then he sort of pivots at the end of the book and says, you know, our biggest, our biggest mistake is we let China get all the Russian science and military advisors and come in and build their forces, which they've now been doing for 20 years, while we in India turned down, he describes an initiative that Boris Yeltsin took to try to really help even more than Russia already does, which is a major contribution, the biggest contribution probably to Indian military forces is from the Russians. But apparently a much larger effort was turned down uh, back in the early 90s. So I can't advertise this book enough. I enjoyed War and Decision. I enjoyed War and Decision by Douglas Fife. Uh, but this is really quite something. It's, it's about Indian criticism of their structure for defense, supporting Prime Minister Modi, but then giving examples of what lies ahead, a really major set of tasks. And he praises your organization the Federation of Indian Chambers of, of Commerce and Industry. He thinks you're on the right side, backing small and medium private sector defense companies against the dinosaurs in the public sector, who he has two whole chapters on how they are really against India's interest if India's desire is to become a great power. So I didn't say much about China, but I just want to praise this criticism and then constructive approach to really improving Indian-U.S. defense collaboration. Well, you, you certainly vindicated my remarks about you as an intellectual pro provocateur. And, uh, and given how provocative those various suggestions for um, reform are, I think that before I ask any of the questions I was planning to ask, I would, I would be very happy if any of our Indian friends would like to comment on any of those points that, that uh, you raised uh, in, in your presentation, Mike. So please, yeah, Colonel, uh, if you want to. Yeah, uh, you see, uh, one good thing about democracy and an openness of uh, uh, bringing out uh, one's own views is one can always put the mirror and then think for himself and write down. That is the advantage of, uh, advantages of being in a democracy freedom of speech, freedom of uh, writing, whatever that is required to be done and all that. It is the view of, he is a very well-known historian, uh, Bharat Karnad. He has done a lot of work on uh, historical uh, research and all that. 
and he has had an analysis done and his own views are being given and it is uh, these are all inputs for I am sure the policy makers to take whatever is the policy decisions that they take with respect to the Indian policies and also others who would be affected by that. Other than that, you know, we may not be able to comment because we are basically, though we are Indians, of course, involved totally in the uh, defense manufacturing and R&D, we may not like to get into any of these policy mm -hmm. matters of the government of India and the two, uh, some of them which may be very, very controversial. And these are very controversial uh, remarks that have been made, comments that have been made. Uh, it is there for people to study, analyze and bring on their own analysis on that basis to take action. And um, some of them, I personally, if I am speaking purely on my personal basis, some of them I agree, some of them I totally disagree. And uh, we need not, uh, this thing, I thought that today was a discussion more with respect to, let us say, India and uh, US. Uh, defense, uh, production, R&D, collaboration, cooperation to improve uh, the, uh, the requirements of the Indian Defense Forces as also to bring the, both the industries together. And uh, in we, that will, we will for sure get to that also. But <laughs> as I said, given, given how, uh, I just like how serious those, those comments <laughs> yeah, were, I wanted to give you a chance to comment on them before we get... Yeah. To, to no, some of the I, I bilateral defense. But the book only came out yesterday, so there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> I do not see that there will be some sort of a, a larger uh, uh, efforts to really uh, counter as such in uh, today's environment uh, the probable Chinese, uh, uh, you know, uh, threat and things like that. It is just uh, probably evolving in various stages. And the counter uh, to that has to be worked out together with in a democratic setup. And hopefully, we should actually aim for it one day, China also becomes a, a democracy, which in my opinion, the world lost its uh, 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 focus when the Tiananmen Square incident took place and a large holocaust was done. That should have been taken care of and probably that should have been utilized from that time onwards. Mm -hmm. Whereas at that time there was a total silence, pardon my saying so, probably because at that time the relationship between the two great nations was uh, in the fostering stage, it was in the initial stage. So we, we can always see the history and then try to take advantage out of it. As of at present, the requirement is India has always been a peaceful country. It has never tried to go over and then maneuver and take over some of the countries and all that. So within the confines of that, yes, for the international peace, cooperation and uh, non-violence method of dealing with that in a very complex environment in which we are doing, that is the policy of the government of India to go forward. And then with the past experiences to keep ourselves strong in our defense forces and then to make it so that we have a, a defensive type of an offensive uh, requirement and the capabilities being built up. So it is not necessarily related to this thing, it, is, it can be more by uh, you know uh, developing closer relationship with countries in and around particularly whether it is China, Pakistan and other countries and all that and that would probably uh, uh, be strengthened 
by means of India being strong, India being a big power. And uh, if that is shown, established, and we become a good economic power, that itself will give a strength to India to ensure that they become a, a bigger, bigger world power. Today itself, I consider my, my own country to be a world power, and probably with more of such sort of development industries being uh, uh, strengthened, the social structure being improved, health structure being improved, that itself will give the necessary depth and the strength. And that would be the answer probably to some of the questions that have been raised over mm -hmm. there. Mr. Patel? Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, Bharat Karnad's, uh, uh, let me say, uh, very, being very critical of ourselves, I agree with uh, Colonel Shankar. Something stems out of uh, the fact that we are a democracy. We allow people to voice. And it's taken in a right uh, perspective uh, when people speak. Let's look at why he says that. And a lot of what he says is out of the fact that the government of India, post-independence, kept the defense and the strategic sector completely reserved for the state. Mm -hmm. and, and we have seen over those uh, 74 uh, years uh, where exactly we have emerged. We have uh, depended more and more on import of our national security. And no self-respecting nation and someone who expects to be on the coveted seat among the uh, global pecking order can actually be in that uh, kind of a scenario of importer of national security. It's only recent, just about 14 years back, that the government said uh, we will open it to the private sector. And as Fiki and most of us from the major industry and private sector have been lobbying uh, through Fiki very sincerely trying to say that truly open it completely to the private sector. Uh, we have had successes and we have had serious failures. And some of those success and failures is precisely what, to me, the book actually is talking about. Uh, we, <coughs> uh, we, we actually have a scenario of uh, government saying it is open, but you don't have a level playing field, mm -hmm. which the mm -hmm. current government just a couple of months back addressed for the first time. Uh, we have a scenario of uh, bulk of the uh, Indian mega programs necessarily being nominated to a public sector entities. And that's exactly how obviously Bharat Karnad has to say that if you trusted someone, gave him all the major help, economical help, and the infrastructure which has been invested into them, they didn't deliver. If they delivered, I mean, they certainly have delivered. I won't say they have not delivered, but if they truly delivered, we can't be increasing our import content of our uh, national security to actually emerge four years back the largest importer of national security. So that's exactly where we are. If we are today being the largest importer of national security, obviously there's some thinkers who are going to say what all has happened in the past has been a serious failure. And if we do not truly change, which we believe the current government is seriously at it, and a large amount of movements have already been made. We know some of them are in pipeline, being done, being announced by the day. We, we actually hope and see that soon, and that soon can be, uh, Mr. Parikar right yesterday said, just a couple of weeks. And uh, with that couple of weeks, we truly are going to be looking at a scenario where we, we, we will unfold a situation where a public-private 
could work together. Public, private could very have healthy competition of doing things. And that's exactly where it becomes extremely important uh, to look at how India and America, or how Indian and American businesses are going to be working together, how they're going to be collaborating. If we want to do exactly the way we did it in the past, we are going to have exactly the same result, which Bharat Karnat mm -hmm. talks of. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously a need of a change. Now, those changes have to be th thought through. Uh, we see today a dialogue taking place. B2B, there's a dialogue that happens in India as well as here. There's a G2G dialogue. I don't see a G and B together a dialogue happening, which to me makes a mighty sense when we are truly trying to make a, a move forward. And if there's a forum which actually does a G and a B together, and both the governments and both the private sectors, or for that matter, the industry, truly sit together and discuss out the issues, we obviously can learn a lot uh, in terms of how to do things, uh, analyze what uh, Bharat Karnad actually says. And I'm one who is very optimistic of future to be unfolding in a very, very nice way. Uh, it obviously requires a good amount of work to be done together. Let me, let me pick up on, on that. It, you were talking about if business people and government people could sit together uh, and discuss these things, then there's a possibility of, uh, of better progress. Well, let's say that you had an opportunity to talk to the American Secretary of Defense, and you were talking about the current state of, of Indian-U.S. defense relations, and defense trade in particular. And, and you had an opportunity in a short period of time, because if you're talking to the Secretary of Defense, it's always going to be a short period of time, to, to convey one or two major points. I happen to know that one of the major issues is technology transfer, which I think gets also to the Colonel's point about uh, the buyer-seller relationship as opposed to the co-production relationship. For there to be a co-production relationship, there has to be a greater openness on transfer of technology. So perhaps you could address that, but why don't, why don't you now make the presentation that you would make to the American Secretary of Defense if he said, you know, I, I have time to hear a, a point or two from you on how we can open up and improve defense trade between the countries. What, what would you say to him? And then I'd like to go uh, to Mr. Bobo uh, and ask the same. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of the elevator talk, 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> I, th I think the first major point is unleash, and I, I, I use that word, unleash how technology partnerships can happen. The huge amount of restrictions <clears throat> to do that, but unleashing that could truly mean we come out with the existing technologies, but completely different set of products. Different solutions for different problems, but coming out of the same existing knowledge. And that's one aspect which can truly take us forward. Second, when we talk of uh, today that India is an emerging and a big market, uh, when is the day an Indian industry would actually be able to sell a system in United States? Because United States does not like to buy. It likes to make everything in its own country. Why is it that we are only talking of doing things for India and selling it to India? Let's talk of 
how do we build new solutions which actually then could go in both the uh, uh, armed forces. Uh, that's something which to my mind uh, can truly revolutionize how we are going to look at. The moment we see those long-term goals, we certainly can find solutions. Certainly through a dialogue, everything is possible. Okay, that was, that was a good elevator presentation. Mr. Babu, do you have a similar one for the American Secretary yeah. of Defense? Yes, but not so futuristic. What I'd like uh, to see something happening right now is uh, America has the technology. India has the manpower and the skills to build them. What would be really nice is if we could bring that technology and the manpower and skills to sell something to countries like Maldives, Botswana, made by American companies in India, sold to these countries together to start with, at least. Mm -hmm. Now, on, the, on this issue of technology, I know that, that uh, Colonel Shankar has, in press interviews, specifically talked about Indian-Israeli trade in the defense field and suggested that the way the Israeli defense industry does exports could be a model for India. That it seems that that could also be an argument for the U.S. Secretary of Defense to, to make changes in the U.S.-Indian defense relationship to open up the kinds of opportunities that have been opened up. So I'd be interested if you could contrast or compare the defense trade between India and Israel and the defense trade between India and the United States, and are there features that should be borrowed or lessons learned from one applied to the other? Colonel, you want me to say? Okay, yeah. sorry. Uh, I will give a, I think it is always better to talk with certain specific examples. You can talk theoretically, you can talk with so many things and all that. Uh, our own company has got very, very well-founded relationships with the Israeli industries. Probably amongst the industries in India, the private sector industries, I would uh, take the, make the claim that nobody else has had that sort of a productive relationship with Israeli companies at various levels as compared to ours. Uh, we worked out a particular upgradation program for a very high-end sort of a fire control system upgradation along with them, along with a very major Israeli industry. And that became successful and we do it for our own armed forces. Now, since it was a very successful relationship of making as part of the offsets, a very high-end productionization which met the quality standards and the requirements of uh, the firm abroad in this country. They were so much convinced about the work level and the capabilities that have been examined. During the Euro India exhibition, we signed a, an export contract for the advanced version of this for various countries abroad through them, almost to the tune of $80 million in the Aero India exhibition. We signed it in front of the same defense minister. Now, what, what, what does it uh, indicate? Firstly, the, uh, the, the confidence or the trust that these Israeli companies had in a medium scale industry in India. And the capability of an industry, Indian industry and 
a very well-known Israeli company, how it could work together to produce the type of equipment needed for the Indian Defense Forces in India. The third is by utilizing the success and the cost benefits that they had because it was at a lesser cost and of equivalent quality if not better to what they have been doing. They had the confidence that why I should spend so much of money in my own country for making this, why don't I do this in collaboration with the Indian partner here for other countries and for other fields. So this is a typical example that has happened. Can we have that sort of a model with an American industry? Are they prepared to do that? And this has happened on an industry to industry relationship. And this we have had a success with them. We have had a success with a German company, a very famous company. Now, on a very, very critical item and that has resulted in exports again and they also gaining the advantage because of firstly the quality aspect, secondly the issues with respect to the cost and thirdly though it, it, it took out from their supply chain some of the things that had been already been settled as a backward integration, they had the advantages as I said for having cost benefit, having an alternative to their present suppliers in case those suppliers raise their hands or raise their prices or whatever may be the case. So this was an advantage that they could foresee and all this work today in the Indian defense procurement policy you can has as credit of offsets for their future work to be done in India. So they utilize it and to be frank with you if they work the companies abroad with Indian MSMEs that is the uh, medium, small scale and micro enterprises, MSMEs, everybody gets a 1.5 times a, a offset credit advantage. Mm -hmm. It is to the advantage of the company abroad. The Israelites have seen it, the Germans have seen it, French have seen it. Pardon my saying so, American industries and the government of America have not yet seen it. They will see it. Because it is so, uh, it is it is staring in their face, and they have got to adopt that. Otherwise, they will lose out. So, even in the FMS program, there is an offset requirement. For example, that can be utilized by utilizing this base, this production base, which has to be built in together by American industries and our industries, and also a co-developmental methodology. That's is the thing that one has to look for and develop upon it. This is our interest, uh, this is our view. In fact, my colleague uh, Mr. Patel is very fond of saying in very, uh, very many discussions that we have had, when we work out a relationship with the US industry for any of the requests for information or the tenders or the what we call as RFPs, request for proposal, we work out with an American industry but we will always work out with another alternative uh, choice B or alternative 2. And because of the fact that we know that it will take a long time for the clearances to come from the State Department, so in the, we cannot wait for that and the Government of India will not wait for this because there is a specific time frame of two months, three months and all that for which we have to give the commercial quote as well as the technical uh, details, which will not be forthcoming because the American industries want to work, but the State Department clearances have not come in on time. So with the result we go for alternative two. 
and that is from other countries and other places where <coughs> may not be it is available <coughs> to the same extent but for us 90% uh, is okay because the specifications that are there if so long it is met it is fine so that is what we are trying to project as part of our delegation under fiki who have done extraordinarily brilliant work in bringing together this sort of a uh, cooperation and at least a open dialogue between industry to industry and what mr patel said uh, uh, that is b to g probably during this period of our 4 5 days that's what we have tried to do it is b to g i'll just yeah. uh, i'll mention a, a, an interesting point about the the time it takes to get licenses for example issued i remember this this was this was a big issue from, your time from my time also and one of the ways i dealt with it was i learned after we had the first uh, defense bilateral meeting instead of making the next one a year later we made it 6 months later and when i was preparing for the meeting 6 months later and i talked to my staff about the issues that we wanted to discuss which meant also things like the complaints that the indian side would raise about matters that needed to get resolved it was almost the same list that we had had 6 months before and so i said you can't run a, a relationship that way you don't want to have a, have a meeting 6 months later and it's the same set of issues <clears throat> one of the things that i did was i met with with uh the head of the defense security cooperation agency who reported to me uh and and asked this gentleman a lieutenant general in the air force to meet with me every week on the list of open issues that we had in the relationship and i said i want all the the issues marked with what's known as at the pentagon as a stoplight chart green orange and red so if everything's moving forward properly green if if there are problems that we need to discuss yellow and if it's if it's stuck red and that means that i need to get involved and make it unstuck and by having weekly meetings on this issue with a a three star general we were able to make routine the quick resolution of a whole range of issues and we found that as we had meetings in the future we had new problems at every new meeting which is what you want you don't want to be dealing with the old problems and so th there are ways of i mean the, the you know the government is a big bureaucracy and it, everything takes time but there are ways with a certain amount of political will at the higher levels to move things in 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 a way that are a little bit more responsive to the requirements that industry has and uh and so i i must say i i strongly endorse mr patel's idea of more dialogue between industry people and government people that's managed in a way that practical ways of of getting these problems resolved can be uh you know can be thought through and and implemented um uh, mike before one, we one, oh, yes. one small point is that during our discussions with various officials and various industry partners there has been a tremendous improvement in working together with the indian industry and to remove as many of the bottlenecks 
which at present are delaying things and all that and we have had very very fruitful relationships and a few of the suggestions which we could make has been taken very positively and it has been together uh, i'm sure solutions will be worked out to simplify it and to take out all this uh, you know the red flag areas and uh, make it smooth the industry to industry cooperation i'm sure it will happen in the next it's about good, one or two years hear. that is a real positive feeling that not only myself i speak on behalf of all my colleagues here who have been part of that that's what is the feeling mike i'd like to ask if you want to make a comment before we sure. open up to questions just, from just the this, uh, audience here just on this issue you're on right now i i wish i could be an optimist like colonel shankar <laughs> and mr patel i wish i could say well the, i met once a week with the dsca general and we made a lot of progress there too no it's not true there's a core issue which if you go on the internet right now and you just type in biggest obstacle to our topic indian us defense collaboration we've talked around it but we haven't said it yet it's five letters <laughs> i'm i'm going to say the five letters uh it's i first uncovered this when i was working for one of your predecessors dr freddy clay when he was under secretary we went to delhi 1985 we had had a future president of india abdul kalam uh and the chief scientist of the drdo at the time uh, dr vk arunachalam they'd gone all around america and they'd seen american factories we want to be able to make night vision goggles we want to be we want to have overpressure vacuum factories we went to varian in palo alto they wanted some things there and the american side said that's wonderful this is 30 years ago that's wonderful but you need to sign something called jisomia now you would think a simple document that many countries more than 60 countries apparently have signed this we will protect american technology and american classified information if you sell it to us if alpha design would be given okay here's a package you can use this we'll collaborate with you and you can sell it as an export later on you would think the government of india would sign that fast forward to 30 years my 30 seconds with the secretary of defense would be did you and defense minister panakar parikar sign the jisomia yesterday i think the answer is no it's called a foundational document for any kind of defense industry uh, collaboration the indians have many good reasons their lawyers have many good reasons they've given to our lawyers essentially this is an insult to indian dignity that you americans want to reach in and see how we protect secrets and technology and you want to inspect us frequently how we do this india will never consent to this sort of arrogant imperialist nonsense and the american lawyers reply is look all these other countries even really small countries have signed this agreement and the other two that go with it they're called the three foundational documents india won't sign any of the three and when the american side brings up a small country oh my god it's like adding another insult don't you <laughs> americans don't you know we are not a small country we're in india so this remains the biggest obstacle in our topic of today indo us defense collaboration and it's been there many creative lawyers have gone at this for 30 years it's probably when you got a red flag 
on one of your cases, it probably that was the heart of it. Not DSCA, who tends to be biased in favor of arms sales and technology cooperation, but another agency, the DTSA, right. Defense That's Technology the State Department. Security. No, no, it's well, in oh, the, the, oh, the DOD right. it's counterpart. In DOD. Right. Yeah. It's in DOD. And it turns out to be a mysterious body that meets with many other parts of the U.S. government and frequently says no, unless you sign this. So I'd be interested if the Federation of Indian Chambers of Commerce has a proposal, yes or no, about signing the JASOMIA, the agreement on military uh, information. If it's yes, I'm very happy. But if you did not address it yet, I hope you'll address it in your future recommendations if you want to improve Indo-U.S. defense collaboration. Uh, I may like to say with, uh, what happens with respect to our other uh, collaboration agreements and all that with so many countries and so many industries. See, generally before, let's say, something is to be manufactured on the basis of the bill-to-print documents and all that in our own company or any of my company, there is a one-to-one -one, uh, discussions with respect to the manufacturing group of the company and our company. And how exactly the documents are kept, how exactly these are all protected, and how exactly that goes to the uh, ground area for assembly, testing, manufacture, and all that, and how that is kept away from the other portions mm -hmm. of it. So this happens between company to company, and our own work and all that is always cleared by the government of India's security agencies. And where it is necessary, there will always be the uh, visit of those companies who are working over there to our own plant to see that these things are being done. So it is done in an uh, uh, official and unofficial manner. And that's what is the one that is followed between company to company. I agree and with you. This is, very, this is all good news. But it's not government to government. Absolutely. So, that's where the problem yeah. is. It has been for 30 years. I, I think one point. At the company uh, level, yes, I completely agree with you. One point that you make is absolutely right. Uh, typically, the government-to-government -government dialogue, what we understand out of enormous amount of uh, work that we do with the government through FIKI, we understand one thing, that if U.S. wants a certain protection, does an Indian company get the same protection? Uh, it's a reciprocity issue see, we are dealing with. Now, if that is not, to my mind, India is not going to sign anything. And that's exactly where the position is. Now, this is like saying both of us can stand, mm -hmm. keep staring mm -hmm. at each other, okay, not move forward, but both as well can extend a hand. And that's exactly what I mean But the government and the industry actually needs to engage. Interesting. So the Indian side could give the Americans a Jasomia and say, sign this. <laughs> we, we want to check your protection of our technology. I don't think anyone's ever thought, that's a new idea as far as I know. See, we start with a non-disclosure agreement, mm -hmm. and the agreements or the contracts will always be on a basis of exclusivity and things like that. And related with this, I think that should give us sufficient protection. And if additional is required, Mr. Patel is very right, it has to be mutual, because it is a co-development, co-production. It is not necessarily one way. Now I'd like to open the floor up for questions. If you have a question, please raise your hand and wait for the microphone to, uh, to be brought to you.
and tell also who yeah. is. Uh, ah. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, please uh, introduce and yourself and, and mention your affiliation. The gentleman here. The first yeah, row. Maybe here. someone else served with the Hudson horse. Thank you, Doug. I'm Rajesh Kadian. I've written six books on Indian security. And uh, uh, there are a whole number of issues that come up, but I'll address only or raise two or, th two or three of them. One is Mr. Pillsbury's uh, question about uh, the anti-US nature of higher military officers in India. I'm only quoting Professor Carnett uh, now. Fair enough. enough. I, I didn't say I, I, I understand that. <laughs> I just received the book today. I'm hiding behind Professor Carnett. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it is related to the sustained and to the Indian mind, irrational support for Pakistan for all these many years. The uh, major uh, adversary to India, of course, is Pakistan. Uh, my second, so please, if you, that's only a comment. Um, so uh, to Colonel Shankar, uh, I'm not a Hudsonian. My family does belong to Province Horse. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I do know uh, Kenny Khanna very well, who's oh, great. in the company. Yeah. Uh, I know Ajay Shukla very well. I see. <laughs> now, now uh, talking of, uh, uh, of co-production, we've, we've talked of Indo-US, Israeli-US. Where is the Indo-US-Israeli co-production? Especially in weapon systems that actually do count. It's like thermal imaging. It's uh, uh, like body armor. It's like uh, what I am suggesting is kinetic ammunitions, because body armor has, has reduced the effectiveness of 5.56 millimeter weapons. Uh, so uh, would you address that? Then I don't want to be a bore and carry on. Thank okay. you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, since uh, the question is addressed to me, you're right that uh, uh, this sort of a tripartite sort of a methodology of work and approach is necessary. Uh, I'm sure it will happen in the future. It is not happening today. And uh, I'm sure if the policies of uh, the U.S. government also is uh, necessary for that and also the Indian government and Israel is also has got its own uh, policies. So uh, ultimate in the ultimate analysis that may be very, very uh, preferable and profitable and also probably it will be required from strategic uh, uh, requirements also, but uh, th there is a need for looking into this. Uh, thank you very much for that question. Good afternoon, my name is Akriti Vasudeva. I'm a researcher at the Stimson Center. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the main instrument of cooperation between the US and India, that's the Defense Technology and Trade Initiative. We haven't spoken about that today. So I just wanted to ask you, we already have six Pathfinder projects that the two countries are working on, four sort of short term and two long term. What are, um, you know, what kind of projects are being considered now? What kind of technologies are being considered and what kind of work do each of your companies want to do with U.S. companies in here? Thank you. Yeah, to start. Yeah. Uh, Dynamatic is one of uh, three out of the seven Pathfinder projects 
the Dynamatic is associated with uh, a company in America, and we've started uh, work on that. Uh, this, uh, as you know, it's called the DTTI, and it started in January. And we have uh, had a lot of discussions with uh, <coughs> both the DOD as well as the MOD in India. And we have uh, realized that upon a discussion that we had with the defense minister yesterday here in Washington, that uh, there are some bottlenecks on the technology that has been chosen for this program. And uh, we are going to make a representation to him and take that uh, forward. Um, having said that, <coughs> uh, the other programs, it's uh, delayed as it is on this uh, program, but this is one of uh, the few things wherein we will have a clear passage for all the export license issues and clearances, and we've moved ahead with. Uh, my company certainly is in dialogue on uh, one of the DTTI project with an American partner, uh, but uh, as uh, Subodh said, uh, not much has moved on. Uh, it's a little futuristic to reveal names and talk about it, but there's some things which are happening in, in the pipeline. Uh, I, I, I believe uh, this is a process which, since uh, it takes away a lot of those procedural aspects, once cleared, can truly be the highways. Uh, only one observation about DTTI, DTTI is not about what US wants to give to India. And to me, this is precisely where I need to be asked as India what you want. And that's a part which is in DTTI missing today. Some of what is being offered, to me, probably is not needed. India is uh, somewhere right. reached on some of those technologies. Uh, it, it's not something which is a matter of giving. It's a question of you know, both partners being happy about a relationship. And that's exactly what we see on the early seven programs. Some truly, to my mind, do not make sense. Some certainly make sense, but some do not make sense. And that's exactly where the subsequent programs need to be through a dialogue. I'm glad you mentioned the DTTI. It's very important. Uh, it's good to have their replies to what their companies might be doing with the Pathfinder projects. This is an area where all the problems and challenges that have to be overcome all come together. Because one of the Indian ideas, and you can see this on the internet and media reports, is India wants to design a future uh, aircraft carrier. This fits back into Professor Karnat's point about India being a great power, being able to build its own aircraft carriers. With, and now, obviously, if the United States would help that program yeah. with design, production, technologies that could be exported from by, by Indian companies. It would be a huge boost Great for India's status. And one of the issues it comes down to is the U.S. Ford-class carriers are going to have a new kind of catapult instead of the old-fashioned catapult that takes two seconds to get the jet fighter up. There's a new kind that the U.S. has. It's based on electromagnetic uh, propulsion. System. The Indian side, to, uh, permit me to use this word, is fascinated by this technology. But it's extremely sophisticated and important to the United States Navy that this technology not spread to other countries in the world who might want to buy aircraft carriers. So I hope the DTTI succeeds. And what, besides Professor Carnard's book, the other kind of thing to read 
is some of these speeches by the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Technology, Frank Kendall, who frankly I think deserves credit for the creation of the, at least the American side of the DTTI. And he has a number of speeches on the internet about the importance of what he's trying to do to bring together the defense technology industries on both sides. But he, in his speeches, also brings up the obstacles on technology production. And the United States private sector companies not wanting to get in bed with public sector dinosaurs, not alpha design. You're wonderful, according to Professor Carnad. LNT is wonderful. But for us to get in bed with the old dinosaurs and sustain them into the future seems to be uh, an issue that the professor is raising that Americans should know about. So very good question. Yeah, incidentally, the DTTI actually lists the emols. It doesn't list anything other than emols. And uh, the beauty of, the this, beauty of this system, as we understand, <laughs> and it's absolutely very rightly said that we are fascinated you could tomorrow want to launch a UAV and today a fighter. Now, a conventional launch system and a recovery system cannot handle it. You are talking of big mass versus a tiny uh, fellow being launched. Uh, it would simply shatter in pieces if you use the same uh, launching system. And here's a completely programmable uh, system, electromagnetic. It could do this or that at will. You select and you do what you want. And that's exactly where it's a major, uh, uh, I would say, initiative which has come through DTTI, but uh, things are not really taking shape, not really moving on. Uh, hopefully, we look forward to some of true traction on some of these programs beginning. Doug Fife, uh, Marvin Weinbaum, Middle East Institute. Doug uh, Fife, advertised at the beginning that we'd hear something about Iran. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, gas pipeline that's on the, in the energy sector, of course, which has been received most of the attention. But what about the defense sector here? Uh, what do you see as assuming now that uh, all restrictions are lifted here? Do you see a future here? of uh, strong cooperation between Iran and India. There is a history, of course, of commercial uh, relationship which goes all the way back to the 60s and 70s. At, at present, there are no industry-to-industry -industry relations uh, or any such projects being thought of or being given. So we belong to the Indian private sector industry. Uh, this is a new thing that uh, you are suggesting. Uh, it has not been in our this thing. Our uh, attention is uh, towards what is needed in India. We, as I told you, we are uh, uh, we only have defensive, offensive type of a work, and uh, we don't dwell into uh, the countries where there may be potential uh, still instability or things which has not been stabilized. So, as far as we know, there is nothing of that sort that is happening over there. So, it's not on your agenda? No. <laughs> I am talking for the industries, all of our industries. Uh, I, I can add a bit of a word on that. Uh, we, we are as subjected to export controls uh, by India in terms of what we could sell. While I say that, 
and subject to government clearances, <coughs> things can happen. At the same time, India has a history of never exporting. Uh, our, our defense exports are less than 160 millions, millions I say. It's less than 1,000 crores a year in defense. Now, defense exports are insignificant. The, the belief the previous governments uh, carried uh, is we are, we are a land of peace. We are not an attacking nation. Uh, there is no history of India in the last thousands of years where India ever attacked. And this is exactly the mindset because of which we have not been actively pursuing exports. <coughs> Today when we feel it to be an economic need, a sheer economic need, because we are a large defense importer, every department of government, if it's an importer, must also balance out with some exports. What we'll export, where we'll export, to my mind, is a state subject. As of now, there's a clear policy towards export being worked out, but it's not fully articulated. The regions where it could go, there, there's a clear list in the mind of the government, but today, <laughs> we, we've not really come to a stage where Iran is in a state where we could straight away start a dialogue and export anything. And one more thing, when we have an industry-to-industry -industry relationship on, with, with any of the companies abroad, with Indian companies, there is always a clause in the agreement as well as in the uh, contracts that if at all any export is to be done, it will be with mutual agreement between both the companies and the countries, uh, uh, the, the governments uh, concerned. It cannot be just like that. Uh, we uh, or the uh, somebody else can start exporting to some other country. It has to be uh, mutually agreed countries and the, uh, the customers there. So it cannot be just like that done to any of the countries wherever it can be. And, and money is important, but it is not that important as compared to what uh, Mr. Patil suggested as our own needs, our own views, our own focus and our own policies. We'll, we'll take, I think we can take one more question. Gentleman there. Uh, thank you. Floriano, a visiting scholar at Science, Johns Hopkins. Um, uh, someone mentioned here the cooperation between uh, China and Pakistan. Uh, would you explore a little? Uh, I, I know there is this territorial dispute between <coughs> India and China, but would you explore a, a bit of, uh, about the possible cooperation between India and China in military? Uh, equipments or if you don't see any possibility uh, of that cooperation between uh, Chinese and Indian industries, uh, do you buy any Chinese military equipments from uh, 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 within your industries? No, absolutely no. Nothing of the sort <laughs> with China. We do not uh, export or import anything concerning military. Yes, there may be some toys which may buy, the children's toys and all that, like you buy some shirts, but, you know, bunions and things like that, but nothing more than that, sir. Uh, while, and we while, hope to keep it in that form. While Colonel Shankar says this, we, we, we are one of the major exporters. My company has exported lots of coal gasification plants to China. On the energy solutions, they actually started buying these plants a decade back from us. And we have actually exported very large number of these uh, gasification plants. But that's 
primarily on the civil, uh, uh, I would say, energy uh, need. Uh, and it's essentially to look at, you have coal reserves at some place, why, why take out a coal and uh, tra transport it over a long distance? You can pipe a gas. And that's exactly what China did. And we have been a major exporter there. Uh, on import side, on industrial uh, equipment, industrial machinery, there, there are sizable imports in India. Military or anything to do with strategic, there's zero. And, and we don't also export or import anything concerning military with Pakistan also. Yes. Well, that's a, a very definite answer <laughs> on, which we will, uh, on which we will close this uh, event. I want to uh, thank uh, Mr. Patel and Mr. Babu and Colonel Shankar and uh, Dr. Pillsbury for uh, this excellent discussion on this important subject. And I, one hopes that in some ways the most practical suggestion that was made here gets taken advantage of. And we do develop not only more uh, dialogue that is government to government, which is fine, and business to business, which is fine, but find ways to get the practical considerations of the business people properly plugged into, uh, into the government policy-making channels, because I think that that really does have the greatest potential for opening up the, the uh, defense trade and bettering the defense relationship between the United States and India. Uh, thank you all for coming, and thank everybody on the internet for watching. Thank you.